Boy, I feel like I've been on somewhat of an emotional roller coaster uh, just because of the, the passages. I did false teachers three weeks ago. Last week it was praise and worship to God and now back to false teachers. Not to mention uh, our music. Wow, right? Was that not encouraging? Uh, every time I hear that, it is well. It reminds me of the story of when Horatio Spafford wrote that song, and the, my wife actually mentioned it in ladies' Bible study yesterday. Uh, wow, what a God uh, we serve. Uh, I do want to lift up a prayer request to you. A, a dear brother, uh, his mother passed away yesterday. Many of you know him, Anthony DeRossi. His mother passed away yesterday. Uh, she was I want to say in their early 50s. Um, Anthony is a uh, associate pastor over at Keystone Bible Church now, and it was a shock. So I uh, just want to be praying for him. Matter of fact, I want to pray for him right now. And I want our whole church to go to the Lord for him and for his wife and their little baby. Uh, I, I talked to him on the phone yesterday, just wept with my dear brother. I miss him. I, I love that he serves just on the other side of town, but I, I know he's grieving right now. So I, I want to lift him up to the Lord, okay? So let's open with prayer. Father, we uh, come to you recognizing you're the God of all comfort, and you are able to meet Anthony and Jenna and Zoe where they are. And Lord, I pray that you will uh, minister to my dear brother. I thank you for him. I know he is hurting, and I pray, Lord, that you will work in a mighty way in his life. I pray that you strengthen him and give him courage and boldness as he gets to preach his own mother's funeral. Uh, I just, I give an, I ask for an extra measure of grace in his life, Lord. Please help him as he longs to preach the gospel. Uh, to his family members, many who don't know you. And so, God, I just pray for an extra measure of grace and mercy and compassion in them. We also pray for uh, those that, others that are in our congregation that are hurt and we have some sick people. Lord, we pray that you will work with them and help them to look to you during this trial. We love you. We look to you. We trust you. We know that you are God. We pray all of this in the matchless name of Jesus, our Savior, amen. I'm thankful our Heavenly Father doesn't leave us in this world without direction, right? He's given us this book to protect us from the evil one. We have a, a, a book, a revelation of Him that warns us of imminent danger. Uh, today we return to the book of 2 Peter we see that there is a time to call out false teachers and warn the sheep to distance themselves from the wolves in sheep's clothing. Last time we were in 2 Peter, we saw that the uh, Apostle Peter explained the certainty of judgment that awaits the false teachers. In verses 4 through the beginning of verse 10, we saw that certainty of judgment that is coming upon the false teachers. Peter introduced the false teachers in verses 1 through 3. Look at that. But the false teachers, but false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you, who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. Many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of truth will be maligned. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their judgment from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. Then Peter begins to explain that these people are going to face a just judgment, that it's coming. We saw last week, that, or last time we were in 2 Peter, God will bring justice on the false teachers. And yet at the same time in that passage, we saw that God will preserve those who trust in Jesus Christ. That's good news. For all of us that trust in Christ, 
He's going to preserve us through no matter what. We look to Him. We trust Him. We know He is God. And we know that He is a just God. In verse 4, we saw that God showed this pattern of judgment of the wicked. He judged the sinful angels of Genesis 6. And then in verse 5, we saw that God didn't spare the world before the flood. We all know the story of the flood, right? That all those that had rejected God, and that's most of the world, only eight were saved. He destroyed them at the flood. God also, however, preserved Noah, a preacher of righteousness, as we saw in verse 5. And then we saw that God condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Everybody knows your Old Testament, right? You've read these passages. You know that God is a just God and He doesn't let sin go unpunished. We know this is who He is. And yet at the same time in verses 7 and 8 we saw that God rescued righteous Lot. God is a just God. If sin happens, if people reject God, if there are false teachers, they will be judged. It's a fact. Based on the consistent character of God, Peter explained that God's grace and justice are promises that we can hand on to, that we can count on in the future, as 9 and 10 talked about. Now today, we're going to examine a character sketch of a false teacher so we can be on guard for evil shepherds who seek to lead us astray. I know you say, well, why do we want to... Talk about false teachers. Well, here's the answer. Short answer. You ready? Because the Bible talks about false teachers. <laughs> if we're preaching the whole counsel of God's word, guess what? We're going to cover these issues. As we go through books of the Bible, we're going to deal with these things. And so we go to the next verse. Chapter 2, verse 10. Today we see that character sketch of a false teacher. So we can be aware of false teachers who seek to lead us astray. This passage gives us features of a false teacher, what they look like. It's a sketch, for lack of a better term, of what a false teacher looks like. This passage is parallel to Jude. The two passages together give us a clear picture of what a false teacher looks like, a portrait of a false teacher. So let's look at a couple of the features. First, the false teacher is overconfident. A false teacher is overconfident. We see it in that first little word in the middle of verse 10. It starts, and, and again, you say, well, why did we start in the middle of a verse? Well, the answer is, is because that's actually where the paragraph break is. In, in many of your Bibles, it shows that this should start the paragraph right in the middle with that word daring. Some of you have bold. Uh, the idea is, is what? These false teachers, he's going to begin to describe them and explain them, are daring. They are overconfident. They are bold. They are presumptuous. They are brazen or audacious. They are self-assured. The first two characteristics in this passage in verses 10b are arguably a summary of the false teachers. They revel in wickedness. They are bold in that. They promised peace but failed to deliver on their promises. They thought that they knew it all but failed to really know the truth. They had confidence in themselves and their knowledge but they were really blind and self-deceived. A person who is bold and confident and self-assured can be attractive to us, can't they? I want you to think for a second. If somebody's bold and confident and self-assured, we can sometimes be attracted to a person like that. The reason why is in our minds we begin to think, well, this guy must know what he's talking about because he speaks with such confidence. We often want our leaders to be what? Bold and confident, right? But friends, confidence can be a deceptive smokescreen also. Boldness, being daring, can be a person's way of hiding who they really are. This is very important. They speak as if they know everything, when in fact they're really clueless. This is what the false teachers were like. They were bold and daring, but they were really what? 
lost and deceived. Boldness is not always an indicator of wisdom. Take note of that. Just because somebody is loud doesn't mean they really know what they're talking about. Sometimes boldness is an indicator of ignorance and pride. The distinguishing mark of biblical boldness is its source and its foundation. Its source and its foundation. What do I mean by that? If a person is, person's confidence is in the God of the Bible, and if the person's confidence is found, founded upon the person and work of Jesus Christ, if their boldness is matched by a holy life, then they are most likely spirit-led believers. But if their confidence is in themselves, there's a problem. This is how we know whether or not somebody's a false teacher. If their confidence is in themselves, the loudest person is not always the wisest person. Sometimes the quietest person can be the one that has the wisdom. You know those people, don't you? Every, once, every two or three months you hear them speak and you go, oh, they're speaking. We need to listen. The most confident. Now that doesn't mean that, a, that we shouldn't be bold because the Bible tells us to what? Be bold. Be strong. Be courageous. Right? But it's where is our confidence? What is the foundation of our confidence? That's important. The most confident is not always a true disciple of Jesus. I don't know about you guys, but one of the hardest lessons I've had to learn over my walk with the Lord is this. The most confident believer is not always the most faithful Christian. What do I mean by that? Have you seen them? You know those people that seem to just exude excitement. And they begin to speak as if, oh, I know it. I'm going to go out there and win the world to Christ. And then ten years later, you're like, where is that person? They're not even a part of walking with God anymore. Why is that? Maybe. Maybe they were like these false teachers. They were daring. They could paint the outside of the cup really well. But when it came to really living out the Christian walk, they were far from God. A false teacher, a mark of a false teacher, is someone who is overconfident in themselves. Second, a false teacher is proud. Is proud. We see it. Self-willed. The NASB translates it self-willed. The Greek word here literally means stubborn or arrogant. False teachers have a high view of themselves. They exalt themselves over others. It's important to note they can do this many different ways. They can attempt to elevate their own piety. That's a very important thing to note. A false teacher can often look like this person that talks and brags about Oh, yeah, I fasted before this happened. Or, oh, yeah, I gave this or I gave that. Oh, beloved, listen to me. False teachers are all about bragging on themselves. They're self-willed. They can boast in their knowledge and their understanding. They often pick one pet doctrine that they think they've mastered. And all they want to do is talk about that one doctrine all the time. Whenever you meet with them, they only want to talk about that one thing. Oh, have you seen this? I've seen this. Where as if they, they, they center in on that one thing and they know that they can't be argued out of it. <laughs> That's often what happens. They're self-willed. I have to admit that sometimes I've seen this even in the, in the scholarship range where what they do is they write their PhD in something and that's all their life is about is that one thing and they become so about themselves I've also noticed I, I actually read a, a PhD pro, or a, a, a PhD project that was interesting because it ended up being called false teaching but he had spent all of his life working on this one concept and thought he had figured it out in reality, he was far from the truth and because it became his only thing. False teachers often do this. 
A false teacher is often the one who is always giving advice to leaders. Mark that down. They are like diatrophies of, we talked about in 3 John. The man, the apostle John, spoke of in our, in our Sunday school today. I actually had this quoted. And, thir- and John states, I wrote something to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first among them, does not accept what we say. Beloved, you want to know what a false teacher looks like? They are proud. They are daring, bold, and proud. A false teacher loves to be first among others. A false teacher is not teachable from the Word of God. A false teacher thinks they have everything figured out and everybody else needs to line up with them. Again, it's usually one of those pet doctrines that I mentioned that they always want to talk about. Next, Peter gives an example of these daring, self-willed false teachers in action. He states this, notice, he states, They do not tremble when they revile angelic majesties, whereas angels who are greater in might and power do not bring a reviling judgment against them before the Lord. So what are these proud, boasting, bold false teachers like? Well, they actually look at, and one of their examples of how they act is that they don't tremble when they revile angelic majesty. So what's he talking about here? Peter shows the stark contrast here between angels that get it, that understand it, and false teachers that don't get it. These false teachers don't don't reverence or understand the roles of the angelic majesties. The proud confidence that led the false teachers, uh, that leads the false teachers causes them to be ignorant. And they estimate that fallen angels who follow Satan aren't something to be feared. And that's what I think he's talking about here. Because of Jude, you see the context, it seems to be the same. You look over at Jude, you can see, they're almost parallel. You can see how this thing follows right through it. Yet in the same way, these men also by dreaming defile the flesh and reject authority and revile angelic majesties. Boy, that sounds just like it, doesn't it? But Michael the archangel, when he disputed with the devil and argued about the body of Moses, did not dare pronounce against him a railing judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these men revile the things which they do not understand, and the things which they know by instinct, like unreasoning animals. By these things they are destroyed. What were these false teachers like that Peter and Jude are talking about? Well... They knew about, or maybe not knew, maybe they just ignored it completely and said, no, there is no such thing as a spiritual world. That's one possibility. That there aren't demons. There aren't angels. There aren't these things. That could be one possibility. But I think most likely that they thought they were more powerful than them. That they had some kind of authority over them. They didn't care about any kind of authorities out there. So they looked down on the the demonic world and thought, oh, that's no big deal. I can handle them. Beloved, that's a foolish place to be. You understand that demons are fallen angels. And fallen angels are what? Powerful beings. Very powerful beings. One angel in the Old Testament killed what? 185,000 men one night. Don't want to mess with that, right? We're not demon hunters. Do you understand, beloved? We don't go out hunting demons like some of the Roman Catholics are doing. And you see that, the exorcists. And they're always walking around trying to cast out demons, right? Beloved, uh, we need to be very careful. I believe these uh, angelic majesties are fallen angels or demons. The false teachers either wrote them off or they underestimated them. As we see, righteous angels in our passage don't underestimate these demons. They have a healthy respect for their enemy and the wicked beings. It reminds me of Acts 19. This passage is perfect for illustrating it. Do you all remember what happened in Acts 19? I love this passage. This is one of those ones that kind of gives me a little bit of a chuckle. 
in Acts 19, 14, you have the seven sons of Sceva. The seven sons of Sceva. A Jewish chief priest were doing this. That is, trying to cast out demons. And the evil spirit answered and said to the seven sons of Sceva, I recognize Jesus, and I know about Paul, but who are you? When you get that question answered, asked to you from a demon, you better run. And the man in whom was the evil spirit, one evil spirit, seven sons, leaped on them and subdued all of them and overpowered them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. This became known to all but Jewish and Greeks, Jews and Greeks who lived in Ephesus and Fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was being magnified. What's the point? We take these things serious. We don't play with the demonic realm, right? We don't think, oh, this is no big deal. You actually hear of, 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 of church members. I've heard, not, not in our church, praise the Lord, but I've heard of this in the past, where people actually go to palm readers and and psychics and things like this. What are you doing? Avoid the evil. Run from that. Don't take it lightly. This is foolishness. You might find yourself like the sons of Sceva. Be careful, beloved. But the false teachers, they didn't care. Why? Because they were proud. They were arrogant. They were bold. They were daring. I don't care. I can handle this. This is where pride takes us, doesn't it? It makes us foolish. Contrasting these daring, arrogant, false teachers were the angels who are greater in might and power than those other beings. Yet, they do not bring a reviling judgment against the demons before the Lord. In other words, they don't act as judge. They're very careful how they act. They are righteous in their behavior, and they honor God with their behavior. So how do we know if these characteristics are a problem in us? The point is, the angels knew their place, but the false teachers didn't. This is the character features of a false teacher. They were proud. They were self-absorbed. They didn't know their place in the world. About this time, listen closely... In a message like this, we all begin to look out a lot. <laughs> this is the moment in a message on false preachers, teachers where everybody in the congregation is thinking, I wonder who is a false teacher? Do I know any false teachers in this place? Examining others or thinking about other people that we've maybe experienced in our lifetime. But here's a warning to us all. We are all vulnerable to this kind of thinking. Remember, beloved, the moment that you think, oh, that's not me. You're on the verge of what? Thinking more of yourself than you should. That overconfidence could be creeping into your own soul if you don't say, hey, Protect me from this place of overconfidence and pride. So how do we know if these characteristics are our problem for us? How do we know? Well, if we're always giving our opinion and listening is very little. If it's all about what we think, maybe we're in vulnerability or vulnerable of being one of these false teachers. Listen, beloved. If we are hypercritical of everyone except ourselves, we very well could be one of these false teachers, or at least on the path of following that way. If we often think that people should be more like us, do you see? You are vulnerable of that. Oh, friends, listen. Believers think more of others than themselves. Believers think more of others than themselves. Believers, true believers, put others' interests over their own interests. No, that doesn't mean compromising the truth. 
But it also doesn't mean that I'm always right and get behind me. Believers are humble and they trust God, not themselves. Who do you examine the most? If we're examining everyone else, there's, that's a big warning flag. We should be examining our own hearts. Maybe it's best for all of us to examine our hearts first before applying these characteristics to others. To examine. Are we proud? Are we often quick to speak and slow to listen? Are we those people? If so, maybe we aren't a false teacher, but we are prone to following after false teachers. Oh, listen, friends. Every one of us in the room needs to check our hearts daily for pride. Every single one of us is vulnerable to thinking much higher of ourselves than we should. We are all prone to self-will and self-assurance. So, we've seen false teachers were overconfident and self-willed. Next we see false teachers are ignorant. The false teacher is ignorant. We see this in verse 12. It states, But these, like unreasoning animals, born as creatures of instinct to be captured and killed, reviling where they have no knowledge, Will in the destruction of those creatures also be destroyed? Suffering wrong as the wages of doing wrong. Peter illustrates the ignorance of the false teacher with unreasoning animals. The same wild beasts that are, uh, that are captured and killed because they are useless to the world. They are useless unreasoning animals, so therefore they're captured and killed. That's what the false teachers are like. And they're that way because they're ignorant. They, they revel where they have no knowledge. <laughs> they say, I've got it figured out. When they really are what? Clueless. They're clueless. Beloved, be careful. Peter states the false teachers will suffer the same fate as the unconstrained, unreasonable animals that are captured and killed. The key characteristic here is unreasoning or ignorant. They revile, they revel rather, where they don't know. These false teachers were absolutely clueless to what the real truth was. I immediately thought of the interview with Joel Osteen and Larry King. You remember? where King, Larry King, asked Joel Osteen, is Jesus Christ the only way to heaven? And Osteen's response was, well, Larry, I don't know. I don't know if Hindus and Jews and Muslims are going to heaven. I don't know if faith in Jesus is the only way to God. They all believe in God. Beloved, that's ignorance. That's ignorance. This isn't a new believer speaking to Larry King. He was served a soft pitch across the plate by Larry King. Knock it out of the park. Yes, Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. Repent and believe in him, Larry, and you can be saved too. That wasn't hard, was it? Yet, with the article that came out yesterday with Newsmax, from Newsmax, the 100 most influential evangelicals in America, Joel Osteen, number three. <sighs> that should scare us, shouldn't it? As I read the list last night of 100... I was shocked and couldn't help but think we're a country being led by false teachers. It's amazing. 
these unreasoned, ignorant animals are leading the church in America. There's something wrong. They don't know their Bibles, the sheep. The sheep aren't reading it. And so people are being swept away by these false teachers, T.D. Jakes, Joyce Meyer. Beloved, we need to pray for God to protect our church. Now, I pray that Joel Osteen repents of his wrong view of God. Wouldn't that be a great day if he came out and said, everything I've been saying is wrong, and Jesus Christ is the only way, and I've been a false teacher, and I repent of that sin, and I stepped down as a pastor because I was a false teacher. For some reason, I don't know if that's going to happen. Sincerely doubt it. But God can do some miraculous things. Notice the false teachers in verse 15. In Peter's day, were forsaking the right way. They have gone astray. Friends, be warned. The exclusivity of faith in Jesus Christ alone is wise. That's wisdom. To deny the truth is foolish and arrogant and ignorant. Peter states the false teachers will get what they deserve for their false teaching. It's important to state this very clearly. If we reject Jesus Christ, we will be judged by what we do and don't do. Now I want you to hear me because some people will miss this and they'll misunderstand what I'm saying. Did you know that if you are not a believer in Jesus, you will be judged by your works? That's a fact. You will be. If you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, you have not repented and believed in Him, you will be judged by what you do. Joel Osteen, if he does not repent and believe, will be judged by what he does for eternity. Now, we're not saved by what we do. We're saved by who? Jesus Christ. What He did. If we trust in Him, His righteousness is credited to us. And we are therefore what? Declared right with God. And therefore His righteous works are credited to our account. And our sins are paid for by His death. And so we go to heaven not based on what we do, but based on what He did. Do you understand the distinction? But if you reject Jesus, like the Hindus, the Muslims, the Jews, if you reject Jesus as your Messiah, then you will face God with judgment for what you did. That's what this passage says. Suffering wrong is the wages of doing wrong. They're going to get what they deserve. We're not saved by what we do, but if we reject Christ... We will be judged by what we do. So here's the call for everybody in the room. If you're trusting in yourself, you have overconfidence. Repent and believe in who? Jesus Christ. Repent and believe in Christ. Because He's your only hope. He's your only hope. So the false teachers were audacious and proud and ignorant. Like the wild animals that Peter compares them to. Next we see the false teachers were brazenly immoral. Brazenly immoral. They counted a pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are stains and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions as they carouse with you, having eyes full of adultery that never cease from sin. Their pride caused them to be shameless in their sin. They were open in their immorality. They were stains and blemishes, as Peter states. These false teachers were the opposite of men who were above reproach, which is what an elder is called or a pastor is called to be. Ultimately, false teachers are worldly. They look like the world. They talk like the world. They act like the world. They promote the world's behavior, and the world likes them. They are worldly. Friends, pride 
makes us foolish. Then in our ignorance, we revel in blatant sin. False teachers follow down that spiral, that downward spiral of thinking much of themselves, being blinded in ignorance, and then before you know it, they're just acting out in their sin, out in daylight. I think of false teachers who have been exposed over the years. Y'all know them. They're that blight on the church, right? Some of the older people in our crowd would probably know these names. Listen to me. James Baker, remember? How about Jimmy Swaggart? A blight, a blight on the evangelical church. I have sinned. And then he did it again. And again. Tullian Tavichian. That's more recent. Ted Haggart. These people were famous. If they were doing the 100 people back 20 years ago, most of these guys 30 years ago, they would have been on it. They would have been on that list. And God has exposed them. Be sure your sin will find you out. And he has exposed them. Ted Haggart was the guy that <sighs> fell into the homosexual lifestyle and was exposed for that. Yet he was, quote-unquote, an evangelical pastor. Beloved, God doesn't put up with this stuff. He's going to show the truth. Overconfidence, pride, and a lack of respect and informed fear, ignorance, and then brazen sin. That's what happens. Reveling in their deception. These false teachers had justified their sin with their bodies as allowable and not to be ashamed of. Listen to me. Listen closely. Again, check your heart. Don't say, well, I'm glad I'm not like Jimmy Swaggart. I sure am glad I'm not like Ted. Right? Haggart. Do this. I'm vulnerable, Lord. I'm vulnerable to pride. Anybody else in the room vulnerable to pride? Call out to God. Ask Him to protect you. When you see a sin of pride and arrogance in your heart, repent of that quickly. You know, it's interesting. I've talked and we've dealt with over the years the, the whole problem with uh, uh, how to help people have pure thoughts and and the men, how to deal with pornography, how to deal with these issues. What do we do? Well, I would argue, and Heath Lambert makes the same presupposition, or the, the same conclusion, rather, is, is that the problem is ultimately not the pornography. It's the heart of man that pridefully thinks that he deserves more or something different. It's the pride that starts the downward track to all that wickedness and debauchery. Beloved, if you're not fighting pride in your heart, you're going to find yourself down in the gutter. And you will be shameless in your sin. Please hear me. We must understand 1 Corinthians 1, or 1 Corinthians 10, 12. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands... Take heed that he does not fall. Or the Proverbs 16, 18. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before stumbling. How many of us in the room need to hear this message? All of us. All of us. Take heed, beloved. Take heed. Or you might find yourself a false teacher. Or following after a false teacher. Fifth. The false teacher is manipulative. Manipulative. Verse 14, enticing unstable souls. Verse 18, for speaking out arrogant words of vanity, uselessness, they entice by fleshly desires, by sensuality, those who barely escape from the ones who live in error, promising them freedom while they themselves are slaves of corruption. This is what false teachers are like. False teachers entice 
entice or lure unstable souls. They tempt, they seduce believers by their fleshly desires. The false teachers use the idols of our hearts or those that are weak to lure them away into their false teaching. Lust for money. Ah, oh, that's how they get them. They suck them in. Their love of money, the, the sheep that still have that love of money, then what does he do? They suck them in with that. Their lust for power or their lust for uh, popularity, their lust for immoral behavior, their lust for acceptance from people. These are the things the false teachers use to get us away from the truth. Hear me, folks. Listen closely. They present a doctrine that permits pursuing these idols of their hearts. They present false truths to get us to think, Oh, okay, I can do this. Why? Because they learned how to do it by justifying their own sin. See, that's what happens. They learn how to justify their own sin with some twisted doctrine, and then they promote that doctrine so that what? They'll get others to buy into their deception. Do you understand the Bible is so very clear? Again, the New Testament talks about false teachers over and over and over, calling us to think on these things, be warned of these things, be careful of these things. Paul says in 2 Timothy 4, 3, after saying, preach the word, right? He says, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears, what? They will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. It's, it's happening. Now, Peter talked about the same thing that Paul talked about on his deathbed. Same thing. False teachers tell us what our flesh wants to hear. It's <laughs> what false teachers tell us. False teachers often herald our liberties at the expense of holiness. Do you hear me? False teachers promote that we can sin so that grace may abound. False teachers seek to feed our lust for being wealthy, healthy, and popular. That's what they do. They want to take us all down. False teachers sound good even to the world. That's why you have these influential pastors in America or uh, evangelicals in America and half of them are false teachers because the world likes them too. <laughs> That's why they're influential. Do you understand? I mean, this makes perfect sense. If wide is the way that leads to destruction, who's going to like the false teacher? All of the world's going to like even false teachers. We must be careful. And what do they do? They entice us. This Greek word for entice was used originally in the Greek for uh, fishermen practicing enticing the fish or luring the fish. You think of a lure, an artificial bait. I love to fish. Here, this is the illustration of fishing. Here it comes. I love a great lure. <laughs> I don't know about you guys. Man, you get one that looks just like a little fish. I, one of my favorites is the broken back minnow. You know what a broken back minnow is? It's really nice. The back end of it kind of wiggles a little bit. It looks like it's almost broken. And what's the point? The big old bass sees the broken back lure. says, oh, that's a fish. And it's not going to be able to swim real fast because it's got a broken back. Right? What's it going to do? It's going to attack it. And then before you know it, you got him, right? He's like, hook in mouth, get it out of here. But there's three of those hooks in that lure. That's exactly what false teachers are like. They know your weakness. They know what your fleshly desires are. 
Why? Because they have them too. And they go after you. They're not going to announce, hey, I'm a false teacher. They're not going to say that. That's going to be on the recording at the end of the year. I guarantee you. Y'all will hear about this later. Some of y'all. Yeah. They don't announce that they're false teachers. But they are. And they go and they entice you with what you have a weakness in. So what do we do? Well, you better know what your weakness is. You better be really good at knowing where you are vulnerable. Because it's your pride in thinking that you don't think you have a problem is when you are really vulnerable to them enticing you away. False teachers don't attack us where we are strong. You know, if a false teacher came in here and said, Jesus is not God, we'd probably stone him and throw him out immediately. I'm, I was speaking hyperbole there, okay? Don't, don't get upset. My point is what? Everybody in the church, y'all all know Jesus is... You got it, right? The false teacher is not going to show up and announce something like that. They're going to go after our weaknesses. Be careful, beloved. Be careful. The false teacher finally will stop with this one. Is greedy. Greedy. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Verse 14. Having a heart trained... In greed. False teachers are often greedy. Greed is the state of desiring to have more than one's due. It's that idea that we don't have enough. I need more. And I need more now. That's greed. Notice the false teachers have been trained or taught or instructed or disciplined in greed. They know how and they have been taught how to be greedy and how to feed that idol within their souls. Greed for wealth was probably what Peter had in mind here, but greed for power or influence or popularity were probably all closely tied. Brothers and sisters, our wallet, listen closely, our wallet is often the clearest evidence of our genuineness. What we do with our money often reveals exactly who we are. If we are takers only, then there's a major problem. We are set up for a fall. If it's all about what somebody can give me and what I deserve and what I'm owed, we're in trouble. Because then along comes the false teacher that says, I want to give you what you need. I want to fill your wallet with money. That's what they say, don't they? Remember, a person can be greedy and be poor, too. Ultimately, it has to do with contentment. If we are never satisfied with what we have and what God has given us, then we're vulnerable to a false teacher. If we always expect others to care for us, we're vulnerable of false teachers. Because that's what they tell you. The false teachers tell you, I have your dreams. I can fill your pocketbook. That's what they tell you. And they entice you. If we think the world owes us something, we're vulnerable to false teachers. These false teachers are condemned children, is what he said, though. They're accursed. So Peter wraps up these last characteristics with this last illustration, and we'll just read it and then pick up here next time. Verse 15. 
What are they like? They're forsaken the right way. They have gone astray, having followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. But he received a rebuke for his own transgression for a mute donkey, speaking with the voice of a man, retrained the madness or restrained the madness of the prophet. Beloved, I don't want to be like Balaam. How about you? I'm hoping that God doesn't send a donkey to stop me from following after false teachers. Friends, Jesus Christ is our hope. He is the one we serve. He's the one we seek. We need to check our hearts. See if there's any pride, if there's any self-will, thinking high of ourselves. We need to repent and trust in Christ. For the person in here that doesn't know Christ, you're even more vulnerable to false teachers. I want to call you to repentance. I want to tell you that you are like me. You were born as a sinner in need of a Savior. Turn to Christ Jesus, the Lord, the one who came into the world, lived a perfect life, died on a cross, and rose from the dead. Turn to Him. He's your hope. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace and goodness towards us in Christ Jesus. Lord, we know that apart from you, we can do nothing. We know that we are vulnerable. I think, Lord, of, your, of, of the prayer that you told the disciples to pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Oh, God, please protect us. Please protect us. Please show us where we're vulnerable. Please show us the sin in our hearts. Please, God. Help us to repent of this sin and turn to you. Help us to be quick to turn from pride and arrogance and, and lust. Help us, God, to be holy people. Help us, Lord, to preserve, uh, to persevere. We love you, Father. We thank you for Christ. We thank you that your grip on us is much stronger than our grip on you. And we pray that you will protect Grace Bible Church, that we will be a people of the book, and that we will be faithful to you, and we will stand for the truth, and we won't turn to the left or the right, and we'll stay focused on you. Help us, Father, all of us in here, to abide in Christ. We need you, Father. We pray this in the matchless name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Please stand. Let's